Some details have emerged from the owner's proposal for a 2020 season, plus we'll take a closer look at a pair of early round pitchers. Like death and taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. I have That's not had the three O-throughs yet. It works great in a fantasy. Three. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15 on The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Monday, May 18th. I'm Al Melkier. I am here with Derek Van Riper. DVR, we uh, had a little bit of reading to do over the weekend. Uh, <laughs> I think like a, a lot of folks uh, in, in our community. And um, any initial thoughts about the really the first details that we've seen about the owner's proposal to the Players Union about the uh, 2020 season? It's uh, a lot to take in. And there are some very basic things that we are used to players uh, doing frequently that they are not supposed to do uh, as a result of this plan like spitting is um trying to imagine baseball without spitting is pretty strange uh sunflower seeds i mean even even guys who aren't using smokeless tobacco usually they have sunflower seeds or or gum and that's causing them to spit frequently um, so on top of things that we expected to disappear, you know, high fives, fist bumps, hugs, <laughs> those types of things going away. Uh, some of just the sort of habits that are just ingrained in every little baseball ritual that some guys have, whether that's something between pitches, you know, being out in the field, uh, all those little things need to be monitored now. And that seems pretty strange. Yeah, and you know, on the one hand, to me, it was encouraging to see uh, this proposal have so many almost sort of minute details. Uh, because as you and I have talked about this in anticipation of this report, um, we've we've cons- we've been concerned. We've expressed concern about maybe it's not going to cover enough things, and it's sort of hard to see where the the uh, you know missing links are in this report. I mean, it, as you said, it you know covers everything from uh, you know spitting seeds to uh, high fives and fist bumps. And uh, there was an interesting uh, interesting tweet from John Heyman in response to all this, and uh, he had a list of of all the various things that are either banned or discouraged, and put asterisks next to the ones that he thinks are going to be the toughest for. Uh, players to avoid. And uh, this is with some feedback from players and coaches. So kind of interesting to get that. And uh, <laughs> what's on the list? Sort of random, really. Licking fingers. I, you know, I certainly could see that. Hitting inside, like I assume that means in the batting cage. Uh, the high fives, that, that one was a priority, apparently. Hydrotherapy. Leaving the hotel, uh, that one too. And that was the one really DVR that struck me, struck me the most out of the whole laundry list of things, because there've been players that have expressed real concern or even just an outlight, uh, outright, um, unwillingness to play if they're going to be separated from their family. And, uh, the, the players are not going to be allowed to leave uh, the hotel when they're the visiting team, unless they receive prior approval, immediate family can visit, but it, it it's pretty much they're trying to create a bubble. Yeah, more of a soft bubble uh, at least. So meeting the players partway, but we're talking less than halfway towards what they would actually want. And yeah, licking fingers with an asterisk next to it is a little surprising. But then you think about a lot of pitchers you're just trying to get grip, you know, trying to get moisture on their hands, 
something they go to frequently, right? It's you'd never thought about it all that much until this situation came up and hitting inside that could be a bit of a twist, right? I mean, on hot summer days, especially and going out and taking BP before a game when it might be 90 degrees, maybe you take fewer reps than if you were inside in the air conditioning, taking those reps. I mean, small things like that, but all in all, I think what you pointed out, the attention to detail in this plan gives us an idea of just how much effort was put into thinking through all the different scenarios that could cause players and team personnel and people around the game to become sick. And I can't really say if I've landed on feeling better about everything or if I'm just sort of stuck in neutral or feeling worse about the the outlook of a 2020 season you know, coming out of this uh, proposal. Yeah, I really don't know where to land on that either. But what just really impressed me is that Whenever there's baseball again, it's probably just going to look very different. Um, Maybe not in terms of the basic rules, uh, but just in terms of how the game looks uh, and just how it's conducted. Um, And it's just a a reminder of how much things have changed in in a couple of months. Uh, Not that we necessarily need those reminders, but it is one nonetheless. Speaking of you know things that have changed in the last couple of months, uh, I don't know about you, DVR, but you know I find myself going into you know various wormholes, whether it's you know watching uh, comedy sketches on YouTube or uh, baseball research, and I, I today kind of went down a baseball research wormhole and um, looked at something that's pretty well uh, established as a strong correlation, which is the relationship between strikeout rate and swinging strike rate. But I looked at some other potential correlates as well. And came up with one that was kind of surprising, that um, swing rate on out-of-zone pitches correlates really strongly with strikeout rate. And I knew it correlated with walk rate. Makes sense. You, if you're throwing out of the zone and you're getting batters to swing instead of take, that's going to reduce your walks. That's pretty much common sense. And it, clearly, there's uh, some relationship with strikeouts, but I, I didn't expect it to be as, as, as significant as it was. And it's not as strong of a relationship as with swinging strike rate. But I looked at those two things in tandem and something really stuck out to me. Uh, it involves Josh Hader. So I want to talk about Josh Hader for a little bit. Um, he was one of the biggest outliers. In fact, I looked at the last five years. He was the biggest outlier in terms of in 2018, what his swinging strike rate was and what his expected strikeout rate would be based on the swinging strike rate. He appeared to have overachieved. And so I started to go down this path of like, wow, maybe Josh Hader's really overrated going into this year. But then I looked at 2019, and he got way better at both of these things that correlate with strikeout rate. He got way better at getting whiffs. He got way better at getting chases outside of the zone. So I actually kind of, in the, the in mid-analysis, kind of flipped the angle on it and thought, maybe Josh Hader is underrated. Um, before we maybe get into more of that argument, how does that strike you? Because as it is, Hader is already 19th in ADP among all pitchers. Um, so he's the top reliever in terms of ADP. And there's only 18 starters ahead of him. And that's both in Fantasy Pros and if, and in NFBC ADP. Is it possible for Josh Hader to be underrated? Yeah, I think it is. Our friend and colleague Todd Zola had a presentation during First Pitch Florida back in March. And... It, it looked at the values of, I think it was the entire reliever pool, and it had dollar value projections just based on 
general expectations for the season. And his numbers had Hader probably five to ten dollars higher than I see him go in just about any format. Had him as like a thirty to thirty-five dollar player, depending on the league type. And usually he's a twenty to twenty-five dollar player. Uh, so that made me think about it a little bit. And I think the only concern I had then, which is a greater concern now, is that Corey Knable should be healthy pretty soon after the season begins now. If we're going to have 2020 season, he's going to be pretty much at the end of his recovery from Tommy John surgery. And the Brewers have shown us in the past that they are more than comfortable using Hader whenever they need to use Hader. Whenever they feel like they need someone to come in, put out a fire, and get three, four, five, even six outs, he's the guy in the seventh, the eighth, or the ninth. And I think having Knable back especially gives them one more piece in the bullpen who they really trust late, and maybe a guy who they're not going to push quite as much for extra outs. I mean, we see a lot of guys coming back from Tommy John surgery. Their, their workloads are monitored carefully, even if they're relievers. So I'm just a little bit worried that the saves total for Hader could take more of a hit, relatively speaking, with the shortened season, with Corey Knable presumably being healthy either at the start of the season or very soon after it begins. Top performers in business and sports often attribute their success to their morning routine, whether it's waking up early, setting their goals for the day, exercise, or meditation. But not everybody has the time to do it all. With Hydrant, you can jumpstart your mornings. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You can save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com baseball. That's drinkhydrant.com baseball for 25% off your first order. Well, who do you um, think would have a better shot at saves um, or maybe who do you think will wind up with more saves assuming there's a season? Corey Knable or Jordan Hicks? That's a good question. I think it's probably Hicks for me by a hair. And I think it's really because I'm not sure the Cardinals have anybody in that bullpen that they like as much as the Brewers like Hater. You know, I think they wanted Hicks to be that guy before he got hurt. And I think you can do some things with reliever workloads using him like a traditional closer and managing to the save rule, which is counterintuitive to being a progressive and smart organization, but makes it a lot more predictable for us as fantasy players to say, hey, you know what? They can't push him for more than 15 or 20 pitches in an outing, so they're probably not going to turn to him for more than three outs. And that actually profiles better working exclusively for the last three outs. And you could always bump him up to the eighth or something instead. But all this draft season, we've wondered, Who's really going to close for the Cardinals? Is it Giovanni Gallegos? Is it Ryan Helsley? Uh, earlier on in draft season, could it be Alex Reyes? Could it be John Gant? I mean, John Brebbia? It could be anybody, really. And I think Hicks is that wild card that sort of stabilizes that unanswered question for me. So 
long way of saying just a slight, slight edge to Jordan Hicks over Corey Knebel. Yeah, well, you, you bring in the organizational aspect uh, to to both sides of that question, and you know, it makes a lot of sense. Which is you know a little frustrating if you are considering. Uh, drafting Josh Hader and, and maybe, uh, you know, trying to get squeeze a little extra value, um, you know, out of that uh, ADP that he's getting. Let me just uh, add a couple of, of statistical arguments, uh, which maybe, you know, given what you said, maybe it isn't going to be that convincing because, you know, the, the organizational preference uh, could certainly override, um, you know, any sort of statistical advantage that Hader has. But so last year he was 16th in roto value, five by five roto value among all pitchers. So actually a little bit ahead of what his ADP is uh, so far. Um, that's with uh, an elite whiff rate, an elite uh, swing rate on out of zone pitches. Uh, of course, you know, great strikeout rate. And really the only thing in this profile that looked bad was the the home run rate, 1.78 per nine innings. But if you go to Baseball Savant and you look at his expected slugging, it's 45 points below what his actual slugging was. And there wasn't anything I could find in terms of uh, hitters pulling fly balls against him a lot or hitting fly balls with a lot of exit velocity. In fact, uh, Hader was pretty good at limiting exit velocity. So that home run rate looks like it was fluky bad. And maybe he could be, maybe he should have been even better than the 16th most valuable pitcher overall. So I was thinking maybe, maybe you consider draft, drafting Josh Hader as your staff ace, even though he might only throw, you know, like 40 innings this year. Um, but I, I think that the point that you raised DVR is a good one to, to justify a more, a more cautious approach. I just wonder too, though, with the Brewers being a team that is pretty good about giving starting pitchers the hook before the third time through the order, really being careful with backend starters in particular, if that just means Josh Hader is going to be busier than ever, if he's going two innings every other day in support of a starter, he could pile up more innings than expected and a lot more innings than most other relievers with some of the best ratios in the league. And if that happens, maybe he's a good source of wins as well. Because if you're pitching in the sixth or seventh inning, you're oftentimes pitching in a tie game or a very close game where the Brewers could take the lead. Um, I, I just think he has enough ways to make a lot of value because of the ratios and the extremely high strikeout rate that even if he's losing save chances to Knable, there's a pretty good floor there. I'm with you on the home run rate. I think a big part of the problem uh, came from the increased use of the four-seamer for a good stretch during the first half. 14 of the 15 home runs he allowed last season came on the fastball. Uh, all nine of the home runs he allowed in 2018 came against his fastball. And that's why when he was throwing the fastball 90% of the time, I was kind of furious as someone who roots for the Brewers because his slider is pretty much untouchable. He's allowed one home run on his slider in three big league seasons. Uh, I believe combined over those three seasons, opposing batters are hitting 100 against that pitch. They they can't touch it. It's just a... Uh, it's an approach thing where if you were going to step into the box against Josh Hader, you're just going to guess fastball and look fastball all the time because that's your only chance of doing damage against him. So maybe he doesn't get all the way back to where we would expect him to because that's the aggressive approach that hitters take. But I don't really think you'd see a home run rate as high as what we saw from him last year over a full season because even though when people connect against that fastball, they can do damage. It's still a good pitch. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I think we could expect some better ratios from uh, from Hader in 2020. Um, now, talking again about where you actually draft him, if you miss out on the top starters, maybe that is a, an actual dilemma you have. Do I build my staff around Josh Hader or do I try to get one of the remaining aces? And one of those pitchers that you might be weighing Hader against is Mike Clevenger. And in doing my little set of regressions, he also popped out as a bit of an outlier. He had uh, a big spike in his strikeout rate last year from uh, 25.6% in uh, 2018 to 33.9% last year. And that did coincide with a big rise in his whiff rate. So just looking at those two things, you might think, well, Clevenger just really improved that much. But his expected strikeout rate based on swinging strike rate uh, was lower than what his actual strikeout rate was. And in looking for comps, Trevor Bauer stood out uh, in 2018, looking like a strikeout rate overachiever. And then, in fact, in 2019, he did regress. And I think there was more going on there than just that. But uh, I guess two two questions for you, DVR. One, is that, I think, is that a fair example of a dilemma, Clevenger versus Hader, or is Clevenger the, the clearly superior option there? And do you see Clevenger as a potential Trevor Bauer of 2020? I, I see Clevenger as being probably two rounds better than Hader. Uh, I'm much more comfortable with Clevenger, even as probably like a late second, early third round pick if I'm in a league where starting pitching is is pushed because uh, his knee injury should be completely healed as things begin to ramp back up. And the second part of the question, could he be this year's Bauer? I think he's a little bit different than Bauer because I think the command is better. I was looking at Eno Saris's recent piece and how you define an ace, and he has uh, the characteristics uh, that Eno wrote about where you have uh, multiple pitches with uh, above-average stuff ratings and uh, command plus rating above 100. It's a pretty short list. Trevor Bauer wasn't on that list, at least in 2019. and uh, Even though he throws a lot of pitches, I'm not sure he would have been on that list in 2018 either. So uh, I do think Clevenger is actually a little bit better than Bauer from a floor perspective, even though Bauer's 2018 season was amazing. Uh, I look at Clevenger, though, and I'm actually pretty optimistic about him for this season, Al. I think he's one of those guys who, even if the numbers look closer to the expected K rate, if he were to fall to the 28 to 30% K rate range, that'd be fine. That's a division where he's still going to see the Royals and Tigers a lot, even with possible reconfiguration where you'd have the NL Central team sprinkled in there as well. So uh, I do like Clevenger quite a bit as kind of a discounted potential top 10 starter who fell because of an injury that he should be recovered from. Yeah, yeah, and that makes sense. And uh, glad you brought up Eno because Eno's the author of today's featured read. And I got to say, DVR, this is possibly the most helpful uh, fantasy advice piece that I've read in regards to the shortened season. Uh, It's called uh, What Variance and Volatility Will Look Like in a Short Baseball Season. So it's very actionable advice that Eno gives in terms of the types of players to look for, particularly in the later rounds um, where you can make uh, variants work to your advantage with with one of those late round round, uh, dart throws. So uh, 
Very cool piece that I highly recommend everybody check out on The Athletic. And that's going to be all for this episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15. If you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic and you want to read great pieces like the one that uh, Eno has written, uh, you can get 40% off of your subscription. Just go to theathletic.com slash baseball in 15 or give The Athletic a whirl by way of a 90-day free trial. Uh, either way, you get everything on the whole site as a part of your subscription. If you're enjoying this podcast on a platform that allows you to leave a rating and a review, we would greatly appreciate it if you take the time to do that. For Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melkier, and we'll be back here on Tuesday. Tuesday.